Okay, let's continue to worship, shall we? By turning in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get the attention of one of the ushers. And they'll get one into your hands. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You'll find Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you get to Mark, Luke, and John, you've gone a little too far. If you're still in some of the Old Testament uh, prophets, uh, Malachi, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, you need to go just a little bit further, and you'll get to Matthew. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, and I'll meet you there in just a few minutes. With Independence Day upon us, I decided to take a break from our Revelation series and a summer break here a little bit uh, for Becky and I and some travel. And I decided to share some thoughts this morning about our culture. Our culture. Some thoughts that have been swirling around in my mind and heart for some time. Because our culture is swirling around and has been for some time. The founding of our country and the current state of our country don't match up these days. And I've become troubled by that increasingly so as the distance between the founding ideals and the practices, the current practices and the current beliefs in our country continue to diverge more and more, my, my spirit has become troubled more and more. And it's not hard to see why, because when you get right down to it, we live in a messed up world. We live in a messed up world, a messed up nation, a messed up culture, like only those living under a rock would say otherwise. Only those with an unbiblical worldview would say otherwise. Only those with a, a view of reality divorced from reality would say, no, no, we live in a great world. We live in a, a really awesome time. We live in a biblical time. Yeah, we live in a biblical time, but it's not biblical. We live in a messed up world from homosexuality and transgenderism to abortion and euthanasia. It's messed up. Affirmative action to anti-racism. Pornography to sexual immorality. Illegal immigration to rampant crime. Government overreach to fatherless homes. Radical ideologies to rampant atheism. Drug abuse to sex trafficking. Like, I don't know how else to say it. We live in a dumpster fire. We live in a dumpster fire. With more and more garbage pouring in by the minute and the flames growing higher and higher by the hour. And not just because people are practicing such things that I mentioned there as a representative list, certainly not comprehensive. And not just because people are practicing such things, but because people are promoting them, whether they practice them or not promoting them. More and more people advocating radical gender theories, whether they're indulging in it or not. More and more people buying into it. More and more people claiming victimhood and more and more people agreeing. We live in a messed up world and it leads to the question, how should we as believers navigate this messed up world? How should we live in this messed up world as a follower of Christ? 
It's a legitimate question, and to answer it, I want to commend nine thoughts to you this morning. Nine thoughts for how to live in, and catch this, how to live in and make the most of the messed up world in which we find ourselves. Nine thoughts, because this is our lot. This world, this is our lot. This is our time. God ordained and marked out before the foundation of the world. Acts 17. This time for you and for me, for every single one of us, was marked out, determined, ordained by God in his sovereignty and his omniscience, knowing exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it, was marked out and decided before the foundation of the world. This is our time. This is our world. And Jesus told us to be, of all things, salt and light. Salt and light in this world. Salt and light in the midst of this world. Salt as in enhancing the culture like salt does food and preserving what's good while exposing the culture and all that's wrong like light does darkness. And pointing the way to what is right as light does. Salt and light, that's our lot. That's our responsibility. That's our way. Always has been, and as long as the Lord tarries, always will be for his people. Salt and light. Messed up world or not, we don't have the luxury of ignoring it. Messed up or not, we don't have the luxury of hiding. We don't have the luxury of trying to find a rock under which we could live or, or some sand in which we could stick our head or a cave in which we could somehow exist and not care about the rest of the world. We don't have that luxury as followers of Jesus Christ. God saved us and God calls us to be salt and light for such a time as this. That's foundational to this entire sermon. If you miss that, you're going to miss the reason for everything else that I say. God saved you and God calls you to be salt and light. You follow along with me, Matthew 5, starting verse 13. Jesus is speaking. He says, you, speaking to his followers, us, you are the salt of the earth. Just let that sink in, each of those words. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, be salty and stay salty. Can I redeem that phrase? In the best sense of the phrase. Be salty. Somebody please make a t-shirt of that. Be salty and stay salty. That's the idea. Like preserve what's good and make things better, just like salt does food. Be salt and, verse 14, be light. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, the world. You are the light of the world. You are, we are, 
followers of Jesus Christ as we are. Individually and corporately we are. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In other words, lights are made to be seen. Hello. And cities are made to be noticed. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that they may see your good works, they may sense your salt, they may uh, experience it and benefit from it, and they too would turn from their evil and wicked ways to God and his ways and give glory to him just as you do. That's the idea. Salt and light. That's how to live in a messed up world. Preserve and enhance all that's good while exposing and opposing all that's bad. Exposing and opposing. The question is, how? How do we do that? How can we possibly be salt and light in this dark and bland and frankly bad world. How? In a practical sense where the rubber meets the road. Nine thoughts. Here's the first. Narrow your focus. Narrow your focus. One of the problems of the age in which we live is that information is not only at our fingertips, but it's in our face. True? Information is not just at our fingertips, but it's in our face, whether we want it to be or not. And not only that, but because of the interconnectedness of our own personal information, like cross-app tracking, that one app crap, uh, tracks what you do in another app, because of things like that and things like social media algorithms, the information coming at us is not just in our face, but it's highly personalized, tailored, tailored to our likes. Literally, sometimes our likes and certainly figurative to our likes. I remember the story of one commentator podcast saying that he traveled to London. He as he was traveling around in the course of time, he walked into a tie. He was looking for suit ties in a store. He spent a little bit of time in there, 20 minutes or so. Eventually, he and his wife walked out and started walking down the street. And he opened up his phone. And I don't know what app it was, but he started seeing advertisements for men's ties. Cross-app tracking, location tracking, and so on. If you linger on a Facebook post, I hate Facebook for this for one of the reasons, but many of them. If you linger on a Facebook post without even clicking on the post, not somebody that you follow or anything like that, you know what I'm talking about more than I do. If you linger on a Facebook post without even clicking on it, the time you took to stop your scroll goes into an algorithm on the software and begins to feed you more posts similar to the one that you lingered on, if only for a second or two. 
And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all the in-your-face information these days. You don't even have to be on social media. It's everywhere. Useless and harmful information is everywhere. Wooing us. Check me on this. Wooing us and distracting us and diverting us, influencing us. Hello, they're, they're not even clandestine about that anymore, about influencing us. Like even good information that's in our face can be a detriment to us, sometimes causing feelings of futility and pressure because we can't possibly absorb it all, and other times it keeps us from the best information. When good things crowd out the best things, they become bad things. Even good information, neutral quote-unquote information, is a problem in our world today. And one of the best things you can do in the face of such information, good, bad, or ugly, is narrow your focus. Narrow the number of things that you are about. Narrow the number of things that you look into. Narrow the number of things to which you expose yourself. If you're going to enhance and shine the way you should, you need to narrow your focus on temporal things, temporary things, and sharpen your focus on eternal things. You need to narrow your focus on things below and sharpen them on things above. Like less secular and more spiritual. Less blogs and more Bible. Less news and more books. Less topics and more depth. Less of what's messed up and more of what's straight up. Like that's the first way to live in a messed up world. Narrow your focus on the narrow path. And pretty soon your salt will be tastier and your light will be all the brighter. Guaranteed. Number two, think biblically. Think biblically. As in, consider what the Bible says about an issue, and if you need to, adjust what you say about the issue. That's thinking biblically. Consider what God thinks and adjust what you think. Instead of forcing God's word to conform to your perspective, you know, the way that seems right to you, make sure you conform to it. Or instead of ignoring the Bible because it's just not convenient for your life or doesn't agree with your position or doesn't affirm your lifestyle, instead of ignoring it, embrace it. Embrace it. Out with your way of thinking and in with God's way of thinking. That's what it means to think Biblically, unfortunately, it's not only a foreign concept to the world, it's a foreign concept to much of church world. Even those who confess Jesus as Lord, many not only fail to think like him, Lord of their life as he is, but they fail to even consider what he thinks. Even consider his word about an issue. Instead, they just adopt whatever feels right, whatever seems right to them. 
not paying attention at all as to why they came to that conclusion in the first place as a result of all of the influences and information of the world that has constantly been about them all of their lives. They just adopt whatever feels right, whatever way the cultural winds are blowing, and they end up thinking worldly instead of biblically. Even if it's just on one issue or a handful of issues, when they get all the other issues right, they end up thinking worldly instead of biblically. Is that you? Seriously, as you sit here this morning, is that you? Is there, a, is there an issue or a topic that you well know you're rationalizing these days? A topic the world says yes to, but the Bible says no to? And you don't care? You full well know what the Bible says, but you just don't care? Is that you? Is there a biblical principle or a doctrine that you don't like, so you just refuse to accept it? Or, or some issue in life that you've never bothered to find out what the Bible says about it? If so, you're not living in a messed up world. You're part of it. You're adding to it. True. To the extent that you fail to think biblically, you're worldly. There's no such thing as life in between. It's either God's word or it's man's word. No such thing. So many times, by default, so many people try to live and think as if there's some third way or other way or alternative way or whatever. Like, I, I can be a follower of Jesus, but I, I really don't believe what the Bible says over here on this particular issue or that particular issue. There's no such thing as life in between. You can certainly be a follower of Jesus and be wrong. You can certainly be a follower of Jesus and not think biblically, biblically, but to the extent that you don't think biblically, you're worldly. You're worldly. How much better to think according to God's word fully? How much better to strive for that in your life? How much better to consider and embrace what he thinks? and think biblically about everything. That's how you live as salt and light. Let the word of Christ dwell in you so richly that everything you say and do and think lines up with everything he says and does and thinks. That's the second thought I want to commend to you for how to be salt and light in a messed up world. Third, I love this one. Wish it was original to me. Get used to different. Thank you, chosen, the Chosen series for this. Get used to different. You see, the darker this world gets, the brighter our light. I, I hope that that's intuitive to you. The darker this world gets, the brighter our light. And the, the brighter our light, the more we expose. And the more we expose, the more we're going to be disliked, not tolerated, hated even, despised, shunned. It's just unavoidable, unavoidable. If you are a candle in the midst of a well-lit room, 
where all kinds of things are going on, you're not going to be that noticeable and people aren't going to care much about you. But if the lights in that room go off and your candle continues to burn bright and the reason those lights went off is so that all the things out on the periphery of the room could go on that are wrong and sinful and unbiblical and worldly and secular, your light is going to be tolerated less and less and less. Your light is going to be hated more and more and more. There's no avoiding it. The more we live for Christ, the greater the contrast with the world. The more we stand up, the more we stand out. Different as light is from darkness and salt is from bland. There's no hiding in this world. Not anymore. No blending in. Nor should you want to. Because Jesus said if we're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of us when he returns. And that's really the core issue of blending in, not wanting to rock the boat, wanting to be kind of like your friends, you know, maybe push that envelope, wanting to indulge in something, maybe not like, you know, him or her, but a little bit. Jesus said if we're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of us when he returns. Which means the best course of action and the best mindset is to embrace our difference. Embrace the fact that we're consecrated and set apart for God's use and God's glory. Embrace the fact that we live differently for different purposes. Embrace the fact that we operate on a different set of principles and guidelines. Embrace it and get used to it. Get used to different. Because newsflash here, normal isn't coming back. You know, the, the good old days, whatever those were. The religious right isn't coming back in a political sense. Judeo-Christian values aren't going to return to somehow sweep us all up into biblical thinking and biblical living and biblical talking for the whole world. Not going to happen. As you're changing for the better in your sanctification, the world is changing for the worse. Both and. Both and. As you're burning brighter for Christ, the world is getting darker. And if you keep living in the past when there were more lights that were burning bright and the culture wasn't that different from us. The room was well lit. If you keep thinking and trying and wanting to live in the past, you're going to be disappointed and disillusioned at the very least. Maybe even taking your hand from the plow to look back and go back. Don't go there. Don't do it. Get used to different. Get used to the plow. Get used to people saying false things about you. Get used to strange looks and strange comments, or maybe even worse. Get used to fewer invitations from old friends. Get used to the short end of the stick. Because when you get right down to it, Different is good. When it comes to living for Christ, different is good. No difference 
no good, no difference, no light, no salt. Get used to different. Be salt and light. Number four, disciple your family. Disciple your family. Disciple as in instruct in the ways of God. Just so we're all on the same page. Disciple means instruct in the ways of God. Instruct your family to know and follow Jesus more and more. Preach the gospel to them and encourage them and require them to live accordingly while they're under your roof. Go and make disciples, Jesus said. Go and make disciples. And of all the people in this messed up world, your family should take precedent. Of all the places that you should go to make disciples, your home should be first. Men, you should have the, the mindset and the feeling that at the end of your day of work, you can't wait to get home. Not just because it's a, a place where you can put your feet up, but it's a place where you can be with your family and you can disciple them in the things of the Lord. You can tell them about your day and you can apply God's word to it. You can reiterate the gospel and how it changes us and, and, and how our identity is in Jesus Christ and so we don't have to have our world so rocked when somebody says something adverse about, it, about us. Of all the places to go, Go home and disciple your family first. It's part of washing your wife with the water of the word, Ephesians 5. It's part of bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6. So that just as they received Christ, they walk in him. They conduct their lives according to him. Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Disciple your family. Because listen, if you fail to disciple them, you fail to disciple. If you fail to disciple your family, you fail. I don't care how many other people you lead to the Lord. I don't care how many other people you share the gospel with. You fail to do so with your family. You fail to disciple. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that your family and every single member of it is going to embrace what you lay down. Embrace what you say. That doesn't mean that they'll always receive what you impart. But it certainly means that they'll know what you impart. It certainly means they'll know the truth. They'll know the gospel. They'll know how to follow Christ should he awaken them to faith and draw them to himself. It certainly means that. Disciple your family. I love how Mother Teresa said this some time ago. Maybe you've run into this quote as well. If you want to change the world, she said, go home and love your family, unquote. If you want to change the world, go home. If you want to change a messed up world, if you want to enhance a messed up world, if you want to expose, if you want to oppose all that's wrong in a messed up world, go home and disciple your family. Go home and be salt and light to them. To them. That's the fourth encouragement. Number five, get involved at church. Narrow your focus. Think biblically. Get used to different. Disciple your family. 
and get involved at church. Don't just go to church, get involved in church. Surround yourself with other believers and connect with them. Or maybe put it this way, get involved in a ministry and get involved in serving, both. A ministry and serving. Get involved in a ministry so that you can be discipled at the small group level instead of just at a large group level, like on Sunday mornings. Get, get involved in ministry so that you can be discipled and you can add to the discipleship in a group where people know you and you know them. Where the facade doesn't do any good because people can see right through it. Get involved in a ministry and get involved in serving and serving so that, serving so that others can be discipled as well at a small group level, a discipleship group level. Whether it's serving children and teens or college and beyond, whether it's serving up front or serving behind the scenes, like get involved in serving and get involved in a ministry. That's how you get involved in a church. Get involved at church. And not just any church, by the way, but a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Christ-exalting church. I've said it from the get-go, and I will say it till the day I die. Get involved in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Christ-exalting church. Bible-believing in that the Bible is considered and accepted as the inspired Word of God in its totality and in every single word, the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Get involved in a church that believes that, that they believe that the Bible is the rule of faith for all of life and that it's the plumb line by which we measure the world, whether it's two degrees off or 200 degrees off. A Bible-believing church and a Bible-preaching church. A church that doesn't just say they believe in the Bible, but they actually preach it. They actually teach it. And not just from the platform or not just in a, uh, a particular ministry here or there, but all across the board in every single ministry. Where the Bible is, is taught and it's applied one passage at a time, one paragraph at a time, one sentence at a time, one word at a time if necessary. That kind of a Bible preaching church. And certainly, a, make sure it's a Christ-exalting church. Where it's not just dead orthodoxy. Where it is so clear, unavoidably clear, that this Holy Spirit of God is alive and well in the place where it's unavoidably clear that walking in there, you well know that Jesus is present as a manifestation of his promise that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Get involved in that kind of a church. I love when, when people walk into our doors and they're near believers, searching believers, maybe new believers, and they don't know the lingo from Adam. They just know that having experienced a worship service, they walk out of here, it happens, they say it to me in the lobby sometimes. They walk out here and say, I, like, I don't really know how to say this, but they fumble over their words as to how to somehow say that the Spirit of God was present in that place and I can't stay away. Just happened a few weeks ago. An elderly woman who's been away from church for 30 or 40 years, having professed Jesus as a teenager and then literally not walked with him until she's roughly 75 
walked in. I'm like, I'm home. She came up to me. She says, I'm home. I'm like, what do you mean by that? She couldn't put words to it, but I knew exactly what she was saying. God is present. God is present. Get involved in a church like that. A place that he's building just like he promised. That's how to be salt and light in this messed up world. Because if you don't, if you don't get involved at church, you have no hope of exposing or enhancing anything. Because church, hear me, hear me, last thought, church is where your salt gets salty and your light gets bright. Encouragement number five. Number six, speak the truth. Speak the truth. If we won't, who will? Seriously, if we won't speak the truth, those of us who have embraced the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, if we won't speak the truth, who in the world will? If we won't speak the truth about the issues of the day, applying the scriptures to them, who in the world can? Of all people, we ought to know the truth and speak the truth. That's not to say that every single topic and every single occasion is a hill to die on. It's not. But it is to say that when it's needed, when the truth is needed to be spoken and the truth is fitting and the truth is spirit-led, speak up. Speak up. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit and speak the thoughts that he is giving you. Say what others won't. Say what they can't and say what they won't. But when you do, oh, you make sure of this. When you do, you make sure that you say it winsomely, as in attractively, calmly. Make sure that you're not mad about what you're saying because there are some really, really maddening and legitimately angry things that are going on in our world these days. People doing and people believing that should make us angry, but when you speak to the issue, make sure you're not. Make sure you speak winsomely. Make sure you say what others can't and won't humbly, meekly. And make sure you say it all lovingly, with an eye toward winning hearts instead of winning arguments. So important. An eye toward winning hearts, not arguments. If we're going to live as salt and light in a messed up world, we have to speak the truth and we have to speak it well. And that's especially the case, is it not, when we are being pressured to not speak it at all. Speak it at all. When we are being pressured to pipe down, when we're being pressured to put a basket over our light, when we're being pressured to put a cap on it while we are at work or at play or at the Thanksgiving dinner table or whatever it is. It's especially crucial that we speak the truth. And maybe most so when we're being pressured and influenced to celebrate the falsehoods of our world. You know what I mean? On so many issues, it's no longer okay for 
people in the world to say, oh yeah, that's fine, you know, I can tolerate what you're doing, you, you go ahead and do what you're doing, which we shouldn't even do that as believers. But now it's, no, 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 it, you, don't, you don't just tolerate, you don't just condone, you need to celebrate what I'm all about. It's a thing if you haven't yet run into it. No can do. We can't celebrate sin and falsehood and we can't remain silent about it. Can't. Because silence in the midst of a messed up world means you're complacent, complicit, or scared. I'll say it again. Silence in the face of a messed up world means you're either complacent, complacent in that you don't care, complicit in that you, you agree, or scared of what will happen if you speak up. Don't go there. We've not been given a spirit of fear. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Self-control to speak what's right. Self-control to speak it winsomely. Self-control to make sure there's love in our hearts in doing so. We've not been given a spirit of fear of what might happen, but a spirit of power. Nor do we have the luxury of complacency. Not if we're going to enhance and brighten this world. Not if we're going to be salt and light that we're called to be. We don't have the luxury of complacency. We have the luxury of just going along and getting along and, yeah, whatever, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and, and never the two shall meet. We just don't have the luxury of that. It doesn't matter if the issue is right in front of you every single day or if it's on the other side of the world once a year. We don't have the luxury of silence. And we certainly can't be complicit. We can't be agreeable. We, we can't be involved. Know the truth and speak the truth. Whether it's the truth about fornication or the truth about homosexuality or the truth about personal pronouns or the truth about transgenderism, know the truth and speak the truth. Socialism, atheism, evolution, or deconstruction. Know the truth and speak the truth. To the extent that the Bible is clear, speak the truth and say what's wrong. Say what others can't and say what others won't. Because if we don't, who in the world will? That's the sixth encouragement. Three more here. Number seven, manage your expectations. Manage your expectations. I often say that unmanaged expectations will kill you. That's certainly true, at least figuratively speaking, on this one. Like if we've learned anything from our study of Revelation, this messed up world is not going to get better. Some of you may need to manage your expectations on that right now. This world as a whole is not going to get better. If the word of God is true, it's not happening. Oh, we may, we may see a temporary lull in the slide towards sin and debauchery every now and then. You know, kind of like a, a stock of a, uh, of a company that's going bankrupt and, and their stock starts going down. Every now and then there's a blip up and there's a little lull in the, in the fade. And then sometimes there's a drop off the cliff. Just like that, the world's stock is going down and it's going to end up at zero one day. 
Zero. Because overall, it's headed in the wrong direction, and it's going to keep heading in the wrong direction. Jesus himself said that nation will rise against nation. Check, just check this list. Just listen to it. Matthew 24, Jesus said that nation will rise against nation. Believers will be persecuted. Believers will be hated. Many will fall away. False teachers will arise. The love of many will grow cold, and families will be divided. And that's just in the birth pains of the last days. It's not even the last days. And after saying that God may bring some people to their senses during that time, which we experience and experienced this week with 32 young people coming to faith in Jesus Christ at our high five. After saying that God may bring some people to their senses in the midst of the last days, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, pride, er proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but not denying its power. That's not just the future of this world. That's the present of this world. If you don't think so, just keep that list in front of you for about a week. Every time you come home at the end of the day, just think back on, the, on, on your day. Like, how did I see manifestations of 2 Timothy 3? It'll get old fast. That's the future of this messed up world, which means if you're expecting something better, you're not only mistaken, but you're at risk of discouragement and devastation. Discouragement and devastation. Maybe even to the point of throwing in the towel. Because things just aren't lining up the way you think they should. Manage your expectations. But hear this. Never stop hoping. Manage your expectations, but never, ever stop hoping. Never, ever stop speaking. Because as long as Jesus tarries, there's work to be done, lives to be saved, joy to be had, love to be shared, fellowship enjoyed, and ministry fulfilled. As long as Jesus tarries, there's work to be done. As long as he tarries, there's salt to be spread and light to be shed. Just manage your expectations for the world's response. It's encouragement number seven. Number eight, quickly, pray fervently. You could put also in there, pray constantly. That too would fit. Pray fervently. Because despite the trajectory of this world, God is still at work and God still answers prayer. Amen? Still at work and still answering. Prayers of salvation, prayers of safety. He answered 550 prayers of safety that I uh, laid out before him this week because we had some, you know, little things here and there that came to the nurse but at, at high five. But most of them were anything from like a hangnail to I'm, I'm just a little hot. Maybe a few other more serious, but nothing earth shattering. Praise the Lord. He still answers prayer. 
He still answers prayers of, of blessing and prayers of healing and prayers of life change and prayers of sanctification and prayers of awakening and prayers of hope, hope beyond hope. The prayer of a righteous person still has great power as it is working. It still does. The question is, are you about it? Does God even have a chance to show himself faithful through the power of your righteous prayer? Does he still even have a chance to answer? I hope so. And I hope that you continue to pray and pray fervently. Pray for the world. Pray for the church. Pray for revival. Oh, pray for revival. Pray for impact. If you're feeling thin, pray for passion and perseverance. Pray the same for those around you. If you feel as though you're lacking love or compassion, pray for that. Pray for love. Oh God, give me a greater love. Oh Lord, give me a compassionate heart. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. To see the things that are unseen. Hear the things that are unheard. Pray fervently. Because, listen, listen. Viewing this world from your knees is one of the best perspectives you can possibly have. In fact, if we're going to be salt and light as Jesus calls us to, it's the only perspective that we can have. Pray fervently. And then last but not least, number nine. Hold fast. Hold fast. You didn't think I was going to leave that out, did you? Keep the faith and hold fast because if your salt loses its taste, verse 13, look at it there again. If your salt loses its taste, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, people, under people's feet. Fail to hold fast and you're of no use in the kingdom. So hold fast whatever you do and let your light shine. Exposing and dispelling the darkness of this messed up world as only we can. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you're in control. We're so thankful that you are sovereign in all of this, that you know that you have ordained that you allow, but nothing outside of your control. God, we're so thankful. And we're so thankful that you haven't given up on this messed up world. Oh, Lord, help us not to do the same. We're so thankful, God, that you're still at work. And we would just ask that you would continue to give us the light of life. That you would continue to burn brighter and brighter within us. So that we would shine before a watching world so that we would shine before a world that doesn't watch but can't deny it, can't deny the light, can't deny the draw, can't deny the attraction. Oh God, shine in us, we pray, and find us faithful, find us fervent, find us bold and courageous and humble and focused, all for your glory and our joy. Even in a messed up world, your glory and our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand and let's worship.